0: Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for
1: listening, and we hope you have a great day.
0: has been in our hearts. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I feel like I've been ready to preach Acts for my entire life. Uh, that's sort of where we lived. And so uh, this is something that's, that's just sort of been in my my bones for a long time. And so now that we're here, uh, I'm excited. And so here's how we're gonna do it because Acts is, is kind of a, a long Uh, Book, And so we're dividing it into a few different movements. And so between now and the 1st of December, we're gonna go through the first seven chapters. And we're gonna hit some highlights and where the Lord is pointing things out and pulling things out. And here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. There are 28 chapters in Acts. And there are 28 days left in this month, counting today. So what I'd like for us to do as a church is to commit to and however you want to do it. You can read it 28 times, or you can read one chapter a day, whatever you think you want to do. Uh, but can we read through Acts as we're going through this series? Can we just commit to say, listen, I'm going to take the next 28 days, and I'm going to work my way through Acts, and, uh, and then at the first of December, we're actually gonna go through uh, a little series about uh, why Jesus was the Messiah and how that all works out. I'm pretty excited about that, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And then we're gonna pick this back up in chapters eight through something uh, in January, and we're gonna keep doing that through June, I think, and this will take us all the way uh, through June to work through Acts. But now we're gonna have a pretty solid foundation if you read through it this month when we get back into it in January. So can we do that? Is that okay? Okay. Chapter a day. 28 times a day. Whatever you want to do. However you want to do it, you probably can't read it too much. So um, we'll start with Acts 1. So if you have a, a Bible, you can open it. It's right after the gospel to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 1. There's Bibles in front of you if you need them. It will also be on the screen. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs Being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse four. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not For you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you to move among us. We say this is your church, that you're in charge. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you have your way? Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is you have for us today? And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So Acts is, a, is part two of a, of a two-part book written by Luke, the other one being Luke, uh, which was the gospel. And it's interesting to note that when, when we're beginning here, Acts 1, Luke is saying to this guy he's writing to, he's saying, the first book I wrote to you was all about Jesus began to do and to teach, as though he's continuing to do and teach through this book of Acts. And in fact, he is. And so the book of Acts is actually a continuation of how Jesus is continuing to move and to teach and to do incredible things, and this time it's through the church. It's through his body. And so whereas in the Gospels it was Jesus and Jesus in person and he was moving about and we were beginning to see all that he was doing now in Acts, we're seeing him continuing to do the same things, if not maybe even greater things, and he's doing those through ordinary people, cowards, rednecks. I mean, these were the backwater group. That were gathered and huddled in this upper room. It was these people that Jesus continued to do the work that he began in Luke. And what was the work? And it's it's interesting when Luke says that for 40 days he ascended. And then uh, before the ascension, after he rose, for 40 days he continues to teach what he began teaching in Luke. Before his death, he continued to talk about the kingdom of God. Acts is about the kingdom of God the gospels are about the kingdom of god and we have to put uh, a lens on this when we're reading through the scriptures of of how did the people in, in that time interpret the events that were going on that's that's what you're doing you're you're working out how is this written and and for our western mindset we understand the gospel as it's something that you do in order to get saved to go to heaven and heaven is a place somewhere far off that we hope to go to when we die. But that is not the way that the early church, that, that the, the Jewish community viewed heaven. This is why Jesus' prayer was, would heaven come here? Would his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So when we think about the kingdom of God, we're thinking about this idea of heaven coming to earth. And again, the kingdom of God, we have to take off our Western mindset and we think about like the kingdom of uh, you know, the United Kingdom or I don't know, other kingdoms, whatever other kingdom you're thinking of. Uh, those are places, and we think of those geographically as a place. But in the same way that heaven isn't geographic in a place, neither is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. So his rule and reign is, is to come on earth As it is in heaven. So in heaven, in that realm, he rules and reigns without a question. And Jesus tells us, but you're to pray that your will be done. Your kingdom come here on earth, just like it is in heaven. This is the gospels. And so throughout the gospels, he continues to say the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is like this. And he's introducing this idea that the kingdom of God is here now. And he begins to announce the kingdom of God, and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, I'll show you what I mean, and lepers become healed. He says, I'll show you what it looks like when things come under the rule and reign of King Jesus. It looks like blind eyes opening. It looks like lack being turned into abundance. A few fish feeding several thousand people. This is what God's rule and reign looks like. And so as Jesus is going about his time, he's demonstrating the kingdom of God. And so when he, after he he dies and he rises again, he decides to spend the last 40 days hammering home this idea of the kingdom of God. Which which begs the question that if, if Jesus knew that he was going away for a long time and he had 40 days to be with someone and he chose to talk about the kingdom of God, then that probably means it's important. It's probably a big deal to him. He could have talked about a lot of things. And what we do is we begin to take all of the things before the cross, all of the things before the gospels, and we put them on the shelf with there's probably something good in there for me. But it's all about going to heaven. It's all about getting saved and leaving. But this is a foreign thought to the the audience that Jesus was teaching and talking to. Heaven and earth are not so much as two different places, they're more like two different kingdoms and realms that are constantly in play and overlapping so much so that, that the people of Israel understood this to a degree because when they built the temple, what happened? The presence of God filled the temple and it became a place where his presence dwelt, where the kingdom dwelt, where you couldn't enter in and it was hidden by a veil. And you could only go in a few times. They saw this one contact point on earth that operated like heaven in the temple. And so for them, the idea of, on earth as it is in heaven, they could understand. It's like, yeah, kind of like the temple. Kind of like when, when, we, when we dedicated the temple and smoke filled and fire came and all of these things happened, kind of like that. Kind of like a bush that's on fire but it's not being burnt up. Kind of like that. And it were these moments, these flashpoints of heaven invading earth and, and beginning to see the overlap and the thing that continues to happen throughout the Gospels is that while Jesus was around and walking around, you would continue to see these flashpoints of everyone being healed, of everyone being fed. This was the idea of the kingdom of God. So when, when he's walking with his disciples, For 40 days, he's talking about the kingdom. And they say uh, in verse 6, when they're asking him, like, is it now? Like, are you getting ready to do this now? Because in their mind, they're envisioning this Messiah coming physically and establishing the physical kingdom on the earth. And they say, is it now? He doesn't say no. Look at verse 6 says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, imagine, they had seen all this, all this amazing things, they would walked on water, they had seen all this, then he died, and they were freaking out, they had no concept of what's going on, they couldn't understand it. Then he's back, and he's like appearing, and he's reappearing, and he's going through walls, and he's eating some fish, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God, and they're just like, is it now? Like, what is happening? What is going on? Will you now restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, That's not for you to know. He doesn't say no. That's interesting. Because what I think Jesus understood, because of what he continued to try and do, was that he wanted to say, You don't understand the kingdom of God is actually within you, or it will be. The kingdom of God is at hand and it is in you. And and what you don't quite understand, you don't have a paradigm to understand, is that yes and no. Because what he does then next is he says, but. In verse uh, 7, he said, it's not in your time to know the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Is it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? It's not for you to know, but. So but connects the two thoughts. It's not for you to know, but there is power coming. There is dunamis, dynamic authority power coming to you and you will begin to witness that there is actually a king who has ascended into a throne and his rule and reign can't be thwarted and you will begin to witness that and begin to be my witnesses to the entire earth and the proclamation is to repent for the kingdom of god is at hand this was what jesus is telling his disciples and we constantly think man those dumb disciples here they are asking about the kingdom again but they were right God had always been about a kingdom. He had always been about establishing a people. Since Abraham, he is establishing a people that the world could begin to see what it looks like when we submit to his rule as opposed to our own. That's, That's the bottom line. We want to be rulers, we want to be gods. We want to make the decisions and to be in charge. And we get what we get. And Jesus is saying, but if you will bow your knee and submit to authority, here's what my kingdom looks like. I know that there is rebelliousness at your heart. I know that you don't want to be lorded over, but it ain't working so well. Look how this works. And so this was the movement from... The Gospels into Acts. This is a continuation of the kingdom of God breaking forth. And so, Jesus, as the firstborn, as a new creation, Jesus, you know, is a new creation when he rose. Like, he's, he's, he's got a new body. He's, 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 he's kind of like us, but he's, he's walking through walls. There's, it's just different. Like, somehow you can see him and not quite recognize him, and then recognize him, and then you kick, and he's walking through walls and he's eating some fish. It's just a different, and he's the first. And we're invited into that. So then when he ascends into heaven, when he moves from this earthly realm into heaven, then what happens is a piece of the new creation now is residing in heaven. New creation now is existing in heaven, and so then when we read in just a moment, when the Holy Spirit comes, now heaven is residing in creation. This is the movement that we're seeing. This is sort of the culmination of everything up until now. Is heaven invading earth in order to display the rule and reign of King Jesus. So we'll pick up here at chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to be tongues, divided tongues as of fire, and one set up on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see now that there gathered these people, just normal people. Some of the people that were there were probably the ones that were in the Gospels that even doubted when, when they saw him ascend. Like people, people saw him ascend, saw Jesus ascending, and then they said, That's, my eyes are playing tricks on me. I didn't get enough sleep last night. And so these people are gathered in the upper room because they don't know what else to do. And then all of a sudden, what happens? It says, suddenly, a rushing wind came. Suddenly tongues divided, uh, things that looked like tongues, of fire set on their heads, and each of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so suddenly, all of a sudden, there had an experience, just like in the temple, just like when, when His glory and His presence filled the temple and a rushing wind came, so did it then. And instead of it filling a temple, it filled their bodies. That's very significant. Because before, Everything about God's presence was relegated to a geographic place. And it was relegated to a system and an order carried out by a few people that did a few things. And now we see it's everywhere. Like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It takes over the entire garden. It can't be stopped. It gets in these people. And then we see that it gets inside of these people and and the Spirit of God fills them so much so they can't contain it. And it's very interesting what happens next is that then it begins to bubble up and it begins to come out and this rushing wind turns into a rushing word. And it's not by accident that one of the first things that happens are these people begin to speak the word. The Holy Spirit, when heaven comes, it ushers in a new word. Jesus, the word, of life, and it's not an accident that these people begin to speak in words, inspired by heaven. When God wants to do something, typically he speaks. And when he's initiating this this new move, when he's beginning to say that all people are going to be able to experience the rule and reign of my kingdom, he initiates it with words. And so you could press pause, and we could talk for weeks about the power of your words under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But we won't. Verse 5, it says, And then there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then when they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So here they are. Everyone is coming together for this day to celebrate. So you have Jews from all over the region, all over the planet, coming together, and they're speaking in their native tongues. And so then, what happens when the Holy Spirit gets poured out? When this new thing that begins to happen and break forth in heaven now comes into the bodies of these people, the thing that happens is that they begin to speak in other tongues, but the other tongues are able to be interpreted by everyone, despite their ethnicity, despite uh, their geographic uh, you know, allegiance, despite their, their languages that they hear, they're able to hear the wonders and the glories of God in their own language. Now, this is also significant. Because I don't know if you remember, but way back, if you go all the way to the left, in Genesis, we read a story about a people that, that came together in an unholy unity in order to be like God. And these people came together in unholy unity in order to dethrone God and to become God themselves. And God divides the people by what? Language. And we have the story of the Tower of Babel where where there was this unholy unity beginning to happen and the people were divided by language. Well, isn't it interesting that at this day of Pentecost, when heaven breaks through, heaven bypasses Babel. And in fact, this reverses what happened at Babel. And so if you find yourself, and you probably have heard it quite a bit, that we need unity, that we need need to come together, we need togetherness, you can't manufacture unity. You can't muster up togetherness. And it's an incredibly divided season. And it's going to continue to get more and more divisive. And what we're gonna need to understand is that we can try all these sort of ways to manufacture unity. But there's one answer biblically to to unity. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to begin to see people coming together from all different races, all different creeds, all different backgrounds, all different upbringings, everything like that, if you wanna begin to see that happening, then you need to begin to, to submit yourself to the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. You you can't make it happen. It's probably why, just this is an aside, I'll step outside of the pulpit, because this is an opinion, but it's probably why Pentecostal churches are the fastest growing churches by far in the whole world, and they're the most diverse, but that's an aside. Because they're submitted to the Holy Spirit, and they're moving in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is drawing all men. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. It convicts of sin. It begins to bring everyone together. And so we see here, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, this day that has been dreamt of since, since man fell, we see a unity begin to come out. And all of these people begin to hear the goodness of God in their own context, in their own language. If you want to know, is the Spirit here? Are we moving in the Holy Spirit? Look for unity. Look for people that shouldn't be together being together. And you'll begin to see, this is the Spirit. This is where the Spirit is at work. So this happened on this day of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost is not, it's not a Christian holiday. It seems like it. We celebrate it as a Christian holiday, and it kind of is. We've, we've co-opted it, but it actually has its origins in, in Israel's history. So Pentecost is, is, an, is an, a Jewish holiday. It's one of the three high holy holidays that they were actually supposed to come and make a trek back into Jerusalem. And so when you have all of these people here from all of these different parts, and in they're in their good, God-fearing Jews, what it says, and they, they have come here because they're paying attention to this high holy holiday of Pentecost, And again, what I'm trying to get you to understand is that the scriptures are not accidental when they say things. And God doesn't do things haphazardly. And so him pouring out his spirit on Pentecost is intentional. It's on purpose. And so then we have to begin to think, like, what is Pentecost? So Pentecost was a holiday that was celebrated, and to mark... The, the children of Israel coming into the promised land. And so it was it was a, a time to remind them. They would bring and gather their first fruits and, and they would they would begin to 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 come together and bring them into the storehouse and they would celebrate them crossing over the Jordan into the promised land and beginning to, to walk more fully in their promise. You can see in Deuteronomy 26, I don't think I have this this is Deuteronomy 26 verses 1 through 4 it says And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all of the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is the priest in those days, and say to him, I declare today To the Lord your God, that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. The Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost because it is the promise. It is the promise that God gave to Abraham that one day from from your loins someone will come who will begin to establish what it's supposed to look like. That one day there is a promise greater than the land that Moses took the the kids into. There is a promise far superseding that, and that promise is here now. This is what Jesus told them wait for the promise. And so, if we think about our lives in terms of the Old Testament and the progression out of being being bought out of slavery in Egypt and being brought out of that and being placed into the promised land, this this, this is the symbolism to represent the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. This is the promise. And so when we begin to think in terms of that, we begin to understand how this begins to work because, you know, when the, when the children of Egypt or Israel entered into the promised land, it wasn't all great. There, there were giants that needed to be slayed. There, there, were, there were kingdoms that needed to be uprooted. There were people that were inhabiting their promise that they needed to kick out. And so it is with us that when the promise comes, there's still work to do. The two two areas, the two kingdoms, so to speak, are still at play, they're still in balance. And so the progression of the children of Israel through their promised land, facing trials, facing tribulations, facing all those sort of things. So it is with us, with this new promise. Like I said, I used to, uh, I, I grew up in a, uh, a Pentecostal church and background and, and was uh, I'm very, very thankful for that uh, now. Um, and, you know, fourth generation, both sides. And uh, they had some ideas and some thoughts that I, I would probably want to go and, and change if I could at, at this time. But, but one of the ideas was that once you had the Holy Spirit and by evidence of speaking in tongues, then you were like finally you were, uh, you, you were, you were there. Like you had arrived as a Christian. And so it became sort of like a delineation mark between levels of Christianity. Like, are you a Christian? Sure. Well, do you speak in tongues? Not yet. Okay, have a seat over here. And and when you enter into it, then you can go into it. And, and so it, it kind of formed a lot of ideas, unintentionally, to be honest with you, about this idea of saying, I mean, if I could just get the Holy Spirit, then everything's gonna be perfect and easy and great. And so there's... A lot to unpack in that statement, by the way, that I'm not going to do theologically. Uh, but all that to say is, once I actually spoke in tongues, which my old denomination believed to be the initial evidence, I realized something. It was still hard. Things, things still happened that, that I didn't want to happen. And, you know, people died that I wished didn't die. And I, I had a hard time. And, and when that happened, it made me question everything, like, well, what does this all mean? And, and the reality is, is that a better example, is, as opposed to arriving, is that now you're just beginning. Now you're just stepping foot into the promised land, and that means giants are ahead. That means a lot of things are getting ready to happen. And so as we're, as we're thinking about this on a micro level of our journeys and, and what it means now that the Holy Spirit has poured out on us, we have to understand the work is just beginning. There's a lot to do. And and there's going to be things that we find within our own selves that will need to be delivered of, just like the children of Israel had to be delivered from from enemies and from giants and from oppression in their promised land. This is the, the reason why, one of the reasons why, this took place on Pentecost as a way to show this is the promise, but now you're just beginning. It's why this is in Acts 2, not 28, Because the kingdom of God starts small. Really small. Tiny beginnings. And what we wanna do is we want it to come and then we go all the way. But then we have to begin to work everything out. We have to begin to take possession of the land that he's promised. Another thing that happened on uh, on Pentecost, and this is important, uh, and and you can find this uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, as well, but the Jews were also required at Pentecost, at that time, to give of their harvest to any poor dependents uh, so that the holiday served as an occasion for mercy and social equality. So you want to talk about social justice, you want to talk about righting wrongs, you, you want to talk about fighting for the least of these. The picture given biblically is that it all starts with the Holy Spirit's leading you're not going to accomplish what you're hoping to accomplish without the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, incredible dynamic things can happen. So you may want to feed the hungry. And you have five loaves and a few fish. And you can go and feed two and a half people. And you can feel good about that. And you can say, I did something. And you can put a feather in your cap and and say, I'm going after change. And that's good. We don't want to, you should do stuff. But we have a picture of what happens when, when the desire for mercy is hit with the Holy Spirit. And we get to see the multiplication aspects of social justice fueled by the Holy Spirit. Not apart from it. And too often in the church, we've separated social justice and the Holy Spirit. We've separated caring for the poor and going to the altar and getting touched by the Holy Spirit. But what we're getting ready to see is actually what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes, what it does is it drives them out. It moves them from their huddled Mass in, in an upper room where they're scared and, and where they're shut in and they haven't left and, and they're not sure what to do. And the Holy Spirit comes with fire, and the first thing it does is it propels them outside. It takes them out of their comfort zone and causes them to go and to begin to preach the world. And you can see this in 2 uh, verse 16. It says, Peter gets up after all the people have come. And they're hearing the word, and they're beginning to, to say, this, this sounds like my native language. And I know these guys can't speak my native language. so they begin to gather, and then Peter stands up, and he says, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood." Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this is the culmination point of Joel's prophecy. This is what everything, all of creation has been groaning for was this manifested sons and daughters of God beginning to work and walk on the earth and the kingdom coming. And so if you wanna you wanna think about what does the Holy Spirit do, it, it compels us to go. He, he drives us out of our comfort zones and begins to put us into places because the kingdom of God can't be contained. And the Holy Spirit comes on us for us. And he fills us for others. And so when we, when we see a reaction of things that like we saw last week, and I, if you were here Saturday, you saw the Holy Spirit do some pretty amazing things. And for some of us, that was the first time we've ever seen anything like that. And, and we weren't sure what was going on. And if you're wondering, then he was coming on people for them. But it's not to stay here. So when we invite the Holy Spirit, when we're, we're asking the Holy Spirit, would you come, when we're, when we're wanting more of the Holy Spirit, we're not satisfied as a church if it stays here in this altar. The markings of, is he moving, is his, are we moving? Is he, is he driving us outward? Okay. And so what we experience is that the more it happens, the more we begin to take steps. And so we had um, this week, we've had a tremendous amount of testimonies. You heard one uh, um, earlier with, with uh, Rick, and you might think, well, that's Rick. He's a missionary, and uh, he's used to this sort of thing and, and all of that. But the deal is, is that when God pours out a spirit on everyone, he means everyone. And when everyone gets to play, it means everyone gets to play, and so I wanted to have Danita come and share an experience that she had this week uh, in a Waffle House, I think. And, uh, and so we will uh, we'll be able to hear from that. But Danita, first of all, you, you, you were healed on uh, Saturday, Friday? Friday. Friday. You tell us a little bit about that real quick. All right.
1: So um, it was if you have shoulder pain, stand up. So I stood up. Um... Because a few months ago, I decided I would start working out at Orange Theory. And one day I did this, and my body said, oh. So anyway, um, but I give thanks for that because of how God used it, right? And I tend to cry, so sorry. (laughs) But I'm just saying no to fear for that too. So so anyway, um, I came up. And um, the first person got prayed for by a 10-year-old, which was awesome, and immediately healed. And then it was my turn, and I had seemingly the same sort of injury or pain that the first guy had. But I didn't get anything. I think the first go-round, and then it you know, was like 50%, and then I got up to where it was about 90%. Um, so that gave me a new story, right? We all need a story, in our back pocket. So there's my story. So, um, later that, just last week, it seems like it's been a long time ago. I think um, on Wednesday I went to Orange Theory and I'm not one of those people of, aren't you so glad you came today? I was like, no, I'm not. But anyway, (laughs) I, I was, I was glad because I, um, Typically, I'm like the old white lady that they don't know what to do with. You know, I'm just like raising my arms with no weights when they say 20-pound minimum. And uh, they're like, what's your deal? And I was like, a shoulder. So I, praise God, I had a five-pound weight, and I did it about 50 times during the morning. So um, nobody knew it was a big deal but me and Jesus. Because
0: you couldn't do that before.
1: I couldn't do it before. But it's like they're not paying that much attention to me because I'm an old white lady. So... To celebrate, and because I believe all things in moderation, I went to the donut place and got a donut and a coffee. And, um, but this, it has a purpose in the story because I decided I was going to give testimony to the, the little donut dude behind the counter who couldn't care less about anything I had to say. But I thought, I'm going to start changing the atmosphere, so I gave him a very high-level version. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, here you go. And so my friend and I, Laura, who also came to the weekend, decided we were going to, like, step out. You know, we're not just going to be here. We're going to get out of that upper room, and we're going to start going. And neither of us is super out there. So it's like, you know, I'll hold your hand if you'll hold mine, right? So um, we're texting, we decided Friday morning, where should we go? And and I'll say the Lord said, because this thought came in my mind like this when I was trying to imagine what cute coffee house, coffee shop in the Belmead area could we go to and pray for some other old white lady. Um, I hear Waffle House, and I see in my mind the one that's at Charlotte and White Bridge, but I don't say anything to my friend other than I think the Lord just said, Waffle House. And she said, well, that's pretty random. And I said, yeah. And she said, how about the one at Charlotte and White Bridge? (laughs) I said, perfect. So we go there, Friday morning. And um, she's a little later than I am. And I go in, and I'm sitting there. And it's like, okay, Waffle House. You know, Um, I sit beside a lady. There are no tables available. And wouldn't you know it, she I said, like, hey, you know, how are you doing? How's your day? Oh, good. And she starts rubbing her hand with that and she said, My hand's hurting. I'm like, okay, God, you know. So I said, Well, could I pray for your hand? So I prayed for her hand and it felt a little better, she said, but you know, I didn't know. But again, it's like, okay, the atmosphere's changing. And I had just a little bit of faith, but and a little bit of courage, but Now it's maybe just a little little bit more. So Laura comes, and, you know, no tables. And then this, here's here's what the story's about, well, other than the Holy Spirit. But this young kid busts in, and he's um, Asian-ish looking. I I didn't really think about it. But he's selling. It's like peddling. He's a solicitor at the Waffle House, right? He's trying to get money. He's got these cheesy pictures he's trying to sell, and there's this, you know, big white dude standing there who's super rude to him and just, you know, trying to take him out, and so my friend starts engaging this young guy, and I'm like, you know, so it's good to go two by two, because when one of you's kind of mean, the other one might be nice, you know, so, so anyway, um, so finally, she engages him and invites him to come sit with us because we really want to hear your story, she says. And I'm thinking, I don't want to have anything to do with the guy soliciting these cheesy pictures at Waffle House. So we sit, he comes, his name is Miomi, Mi- Mi- Mi. and he's 22, and he's working as a missionary with this cult who's trying to bring unity to the whole world world. They're peddling a little Jesus and a lot of deception. Right. So my friend's so sweet. She's engaging him and I'm like, you know, but um, come to find out he doesn't really know what he's talking about or what he believes and come to find out he's really being controlled because he keeps looking at his watch like, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm spending too much time here you know, my friend says, don't worry, we'll buy your pictures, or we'll just give you a big donation. We decided this thing is really a costly gig, this going out for Jesus. So, or it can be. (laughs) But you could do it for free, and he could multiply what's in your wallet too. So, you know, there's all that. But, um, so anyway, we finally, maybe I say, Oh, do you have any pain anywhere? And wouldn't you know, it's his left shoulder, same as me. So, and same as Mike and Ann. So, I'm like, I was sitting right by his left shoulder. So, I said, you know, we just learned to do this. I was healed, so we're just going to pray. And so, he gets some improvement, and then I said, well, I'm just praying. again. So, he gets more improvement and then he's like man it's like it's gone it's like i feel heat like something something just lifted off of me i'm like oh yeah i know it's lifted off so you know we keep keep talking keep praying and finally i pray um you know like deliverance and i've been thinking the last week man i just need to know more about i don't know how to pray deliverance you know but you know i just you know go in the name of jesus and at one point you know he's sitting beside me he goes and I didn't know what was going to happen. And he's standing up, and he um, he said, "It's gone." Which you know we hear a lot when people get delivered. I'm like, "What's gone?" He said, "That thing that was in my head, that, all that pressure—it's gone. I feel so light." So you know, he gets saved. He gets healed. He gets delivered. He gets saved. And this is neat because Robbie said we have the power in the in this room last weekend to change the world. He, he lives in Kodiak, Alaska. He's traveling with this cult from East Coast to all the way to California, to the West Coast. So, and he's I think in a van with five people. So he knows something they don't know. So we declared that he would take that all the way across the United States. Mm that's awesome so we started with nothing basically right but just the commitment when we stood up you know and like yeah 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 Robbie we want to do what you do you know we're like this is a vow to God like we're taking this seriously and um, so like I just urge you if you don't know what you're doing that you're just who God's looking for (laughs) that's right
0: (laughs) thank you that's awesome She texts me that and I said, you, you have to share that story because it's just the representation of what God is wanting to do. He's wanting us to go. And he's poured out his spirit in order to be able to win people in a waffle house. To to not just begin to bring Uh, a story of salvation in regards to going to heaven one day, which will happen now. But he's also beginning to bring a story of salvation in heaven beginning to come where he is and invading his life and changing his story. And so this is Acts. This is the beginning. And it's not long until, and we'll see over this next few chapters, that everything in the world begins to be changed by just that. Just stepping out and going. And so as we begin to close, we're, we're going we're to wrap up the chapter because this is a, a picture now of, of what the kingdom of God begins to look like. And so we'll, we'll pick up in chapter uh, 2 verses 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer, Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is the new family being born. They're taking care of one another. The the kingdom is breaking out and they're beginning to see a new story beginning to unfold And the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book, is about how the story unfolds. And we'll see when we get to the end, it's kind of a cliffhanger. Because Luke is writing it and saying, it's for now, too. In case you're wondering, is it reg- regulated to, to these people at this time? It says very clearly in verse 39: it says, For the promise, the Holy Spirit, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many of the Lord our God will call. It's for us. And we're called to be carriers of the kingdom. And we're called to go. And so, as we move from this time into a time of worship, the question becomes: Lord, there, there is a reason that I'm here, and I, and I'm and I'm, I'm ready. The scriptures say that He orders the steps of the righteous, and if you've bowed your knee to Jesus, then you're righteous, and so you're here on purpose, and you're hearing this on purpose, and the question is why. And so as we're being led in worship, the question becomes, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this information? What do, what do I do? Because this isn't only supposed to live in our heads. Danita could have taken the information from the conference and said, that's great knowledge. But she did what it's supposed to do. It, it compelled her to do something. And so we're going to enter into a time of worship and reflection and begin to ask, Lord, what are you saying? Like, what are you calling me to do? Is there, is there a Waffle House you're asking me to go into? Is there someplace that you're wanting to send me? And then there's other of us that haven't experienced that move yet. We don't have an upper room experience. We don't have a healing story. We don't have our, our own thing that we we feel like is compelling us to. And we, we want to begin to to pray for that that you begin to to meet the Lord and and experience the kingdom in a radically different way. And then we want to we want to begin to pray as the disciples pray later for boldness. And so if you if you feel this I. Sh- I know I want to, but I'm afraid, then, then as the disciples do later, we'll, we'll pray for boldness. And so those are the calls for ministry. And so if you could stand, we're gonna just begin to ask the Lord, what do you wanna do with us today? And I will tell you that if you need healing, this is a good day for healing. That's not the only story that we heard this week about healing. Healing. And if you aren't a believer, if you haven't bowed your knee to Jesus, then this is a great time to bow your knee to Jesus. This isn't the only story that we heard this week of people accepting Jesus in unorthodox places. And so we just want to make a space for that as well. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. We invite you in this place. Would you come? Would you begin to speak to us and show us to show us how you want more of us, to show us the places in our hearts that we've kept guarded from your kingdom, those places that we're still wanting to rule. Are there areas in our lives that we haven't submitted to your rule? Kingdom, would you come? Would your rule and reign come?
1: For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church,
0: please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for
1: listening, and we hope you have a great day.